Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest this week is Luke Beatty. Luke has been one of the fixtures of the Colorado tech ecosystem over the past 20 years. He has the unique distinction that he successfully founded and sold two companies based here, Associated Content, which he started in 2005, and most recently Brandfolder. Along the way, he was the MD of Techstars Boulder and held senior roles at Yahoo and Verizon AOL. Now he's investing in top consumer brands nationally with the Churnit Group. Luke, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's great to see you guys. Cool. Well, I want to start out and go go back. You know, you were uh, one of the original Colorado tech ecosystem startup success stories with associated content. So I'd love to hear your journey uh, to being an entrepreneur and, and, and that whole experience first. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. So I'm, I'm born and raised in Colorado and then went to college and grad school on the East Coast and then really started a career as a teacher and a coach, which I still I still coach. I coach lacrosse East High School, but I I did that for a couple years, uh, and then uh, really out of no passion whatsoever, but just necessity to pay the bills. Uh, as a school teacher who wasn't making any money, I took an inter- summer internship at uh, a what they called a tech company, and that was really out of nothing other than than just an interest in having a good summer job and not trying to make. Uh, not trying to make myself scratching for cash all the time. And if I didn't do that, I would not have the self-discipline and end up spending my summers fishing. So I took a job at, at a company that provided ontologies and taxonomies to all the major search engines. And that's a small startup that was in downtown Denver. And my job, which I was couldn't have been less qualified for, to do, was to go to Google, go to Yahoo, go to all the search engines and explain to them this ontology and taxonomy that we built to improve consumer search. And, and it was, it was an incredible three months. Um, and then at the end, they, they offered me a, um, uh, an opportunity to join the company full time. And, uh, and I was planning on going back to the fall for an ac- another academic year and, Kind of felt to myself felt like I loved it, uh, and that I felt like I was good at it, and I also felt like I could always come back and get a job in education. So that was really how I started. Um, spent a couple years there, and then while there, I kind of discovered this opportunity to start a company called Associated Content, which I co-founded with with my college roommate, who's a guy named Tim Armstrong, who ended up working at Google and was the CEO of AOL and, and a bunch of other stuff. And that was a company that was really set up to with a with a kind of a B2B to C platform where we collected content from some of the uh, best content creators in the in the country who could write on write and do video and images on on a variety of topics and kind of provide those services to bigger media companies. So when ESPN wanted to cover high school sports, we would have a, a publishing platform where they could get that rights cleared content that had been edited and they could order whatever they wanted, you know, recipes, all that sort of stuff. So this is like, 
you know, early web kind of, which, which is obviously commoditized everywhere now. Every, every media company has the ability to collect content from its users, uh, or from the, um, kind of, uh, part-time or freelance community. So that, that was my first, uh, my first startup and kind of grew that, raised money from SoftBank and, uh, and grew that into a, a good sized company. We were in Cherry Creek in Denver, uh, but we had people in New York and, and the Bay Area. Uh, that company was acquired by, by Yahoo. Then I went to Yahoo and, uh, we built a, Yahoo built a nice office for us in Cherry Creek. And we also had people kind of going back and forth from Sunnyvale. We were really kind of running, running publishing platforms, um, for Yahoo and, and, you know, really doing content generation. At that point, Yahoo was really only licensing content from brands. They weren't doing any of their own original content. So we were kind of leading the charge on that. Did that for a while. Then I, uh, worked at Yahoo where I, where I met coincidentally the, Mike Kearns, who's, who's a partner of mine now at TCG, where I'm working, really got to spend some time after that. Spent a year as a managing director at Techstars in, uh, in Boulder, which was fun and ran a cohort of kids. I say kids, founders through, through that program and spent time in New York on the, on the program in New York. Then I went over to, um, to AOL, uh, again with my, my roommate from college, Tim Armstrong. Um, to run the independent brands over at Yahoo. Uh, and that meant brands like TechCrunch and Engadget and all the non-AOL.com brands that were in there were the ones that I was really involved with, both on the product side and the editorial side. And then from there, started working on Brandfolder, which is a company that I co-founded with other folks in town here, um, which was a B2B SaaS platform that we all kind of built just out of our need for it. None of us were uh, really... B2B SaaS folks, we we're mostly all working on consumer products. But we felt the need for that. And that was great. That was, uh, that was a company that we raised just one round, one main round of financing for and uh, sold to Smartsheet, uh, just a few years ago. And now I'm back in investing and I'm a partner at TCG, which is a later stage, uh, consumer investor that, that, uh, that really focuses on growth stage brands, most of which people have heard of. Uh, later stage consumer brands. Great. Luke, thanks for the, the walk through the career. I think one of the things that, that stuck out, which is a little different than some of the other folks we've had on here, is you have a really long history in Colorado tech and more so than most folks. Uh, we'd love your perspective on sort of how you've seen it evolve over the last you know, 15, 20 years, and especially what you've seen the last three or four years going on in the city. Yeah, it's been it's been fascinating. Um, I think when I first got involved in the world, which was, um, like I said, at a, at a tiny startup, which was really one of the only ones that was doing anything connected to Silicon Valley at the time, I, you just started to see an enormous amount of early stage stuff between Denver and Boulder. And when you looked at the numbers, you know, on a per capita basis, we were putting out more early stage companies than anybody. And there were a lot of 10, 15 person startups. Um, all over the place. Obviously, Techstars being in Boulder was a, a an accelerant of that, uh, and and we had a real big stable of early stage stuff. And so my original inclination uh, back in the early 2000s was that these would all mature and grow, and then we would have this whole companies of all scales and all sizes in, in Colorado in maybe, maybe a decade or 15 years, and that organic growth didn't really happen as I thought it would have. And I think others had, I think 
that was kind of what everybody was thinking. We had big kind of infrastructure tech companies like all those companies on like uh, level three and all these companies out on on 36 between Boulder and Denver. But we weren't really growing them and getting kind of, you know, growth stage and IPO companies coming out of our own uh, our own growth, uh, which was surprising and, and pretty frustrating. And it certainly wasn't from a lack of work on folks around here. Uh, I think there was a lot of circumstances that that, you know, companies started to wind down and where they'd get bought and they would move. Um, you know, I, I think we had a good um, uh, success rate. But for some reason that we weren't growing a ton of them and getting mid-stage kind of mezzanine level companies out in Colorado. Then what happened, it seems to me, is that it became inorganic growth. You know, and just in the last five years, you had a lot of companies either moving out here <laughs> like Palantir or uh, companies opening up a second headquarters out, out, out west. And, you know, now, now we have those. We didn't grow them ourselves, but they're here. And so now I think we have that that balance and probably, you know, in New York and Silicon Valley, we have less, of, I think, of a perception now of just being sort of a hotbed for early stage, early stage companies and 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 now one that that can really not only um, support those and staff those companies, but also grow them. Well, what's a company, Luke, I know you're involved in a lot of different different things here. What's a or maybe an early tech company based here that you're excited about right now? Well, I don't know what a tech company is anymore. But <laughs> true. True. I, I'm pre- I'm pretty passionate about content media. There's a company that's called All City, which owns a, a bunch of different media brands, sports media brands, increasingly out the country. The one in the brand that they use in Denver is called DNVR, uh, and Brandon Spano started this company, and it's it is an amazing experience, right? It's a consumer experience that is online. It is consumer. They have a bar in on Colfax. Um, now they've launched these these local local sports media companies in Phoenix and in um, Chicago just just recently. Uh, and it's it's really great. It's one of those companies where if you were to ask consumers, what does DNVR do? You'd get like 10 different answers, right? It's a bar. Uh, it's a podcast network. Um, it's a, you know, it's a credentialed group of high-end reporters covering teams daily. Uh, it's, it's a really like a good consumer local lifestyle brand. Um, that has a has a model that's really disrupting the traditional sports radio, traditional you know uh, sports coverage. It's a little edgier and probably more fun than the Athletic, uh, which is a company that TCG, where I work now, as was an investor in. But it's but it's really interesting how they've done it. They've they're now able to get the best sort of sports media talent in every city they go to and. It's really impressive, and Brandon's done it largely on a on a bootstrapped kind of basis. So it's that's really interesting to check out. I think both for consumers and for people that kind of want to see a, a more non conventional but super high passion founder driven setup that's happening now. Yeah, I think we chatted with him about a year ago, and I think to your point, uh, it was hard to figure out exactly what it was, but it was really cool the way he was putting everything together. Yeah. And to me, that's what a good consumer brand is. A good consumer brand has a lot of answers to the question of what do they do, you know, and that's also code for a blended business model where we're not totally dependent on revenue coming from one source. Um, And when you think about, you know, companies, we, we were investors in barstool sports at TCG and it's kind of the same way, right? I mean, 
you'd get a million answers. It's an event company. <laughs> it's a it's a comedy operation. It's a uh, gambling business. It, it's 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 one of those lifestyle brands that that doesn't have a, a singular way to engage with consumers or a singular way of generating revenue. Luke, you, you've had over your course of your career, you've been a, a founder, you've been an operator, now you're an investor. And so sort of over the course of your career, I'm sure you've learned a bunch of different lessons, but we'd love to jump into what's the biggest lesson you've learned in your career and how'd you learn it? I would say it would have to be related to people. It obviously goes without saying that to be have any sort of leadership position and certainly a founder or an executive, you have to be an incredible people collector. <laughs> and you can have incredible products and incredible marketing prowess and all these sorts of things. But if you're not somebody who can collect glow-in-the-dark people, it's just not going to happen. And to put a finer point on that, I think that once you've identified those people, you have to be able to create for them a life-changing experience. You might be a founder. Well, everybody's a founder of their own company, which is themselves. And you have to be able to create an experience for them, both socially, financially, emotionally, connectively, an experience that, that is going to change their lives. It just completely changes the energy of a business if your employees feel like this is the opportunity of a lifetime. And I think it's hard to curate that experience. But if you do, and if you have a team of 50 people or 500 people, and they all have this feeling that it's the opportunity of a lifetime, that, that's when things change. That, that helps people play well together. That helps people be innovative. That helps people to have a work ethic. And I think founders are doing that for themselves. Otherwise, they wouldn't have cho chosen to do it. But I think as an executive, you need to look at everybody as that situation. And, and, and that's time consuming and incredibly hard because different people value different things at different points in their life. But I think you need to be able to look certainly at the leadership level. Um, you need to be able to look at everybody on the team and, and, and know that the, the, the experience of, of being a part of the team is, is something that they think has the potential to change their lives. Because it's such a competitive market now from a staffing and a hiring perspective that if you're, if you can't say that to yourself, then, then things are going to be broken. If they're not broken, they're, they're going to break because there's enough opportunities out there where, where there is somewhere, whether they start it themselves or they go to another company where they can get that. And, and I think that people collecting theme is really the most, it's really the most critical. And I, I, I guess where, where I learned that first was to was kind of my early experience in, in hiring people. I was hiring people because they had the ability to do the thing or build the product that I needed built. And I guess I thought that was probably enough incentive. Like you're, you're good at you're good at this job. I, I know you've done this job before. I need you to do this job here. Well, they'd already done that job. <laughs> So there, you know, there wasn't this outsized incentive, and sometimes that means you have to hire people that are maybe a little unqualified because they they haven't done it yet. And and hiring people that you think are good at it at a particular job, but may not be challenged by it, I think it's a big mistake. And I think if I look back in my career, I've, I've often hired as I've gotten better at it. I've often hired people that are essentially underqualified at times because I know that this is a reach for them. But in that calculation, they've also come to understand that that they can 
change their life and and be a part of something that it will move them wherever they want to go. So, so Luke, we'd love to drill down on the sort of life-changing aspect of it, because I think that's a really interesting way to frame it that I haven't heard before. And I think one of the things you just said was, you know, give people maybe outsized opportunity relative to where they might have had elsewhere to have that life-changing experience. Any other tactical tips for our listeners in terms of other ways you've found to have employees see the potential in that life-changing experience while working for you? Well, like I said, I think it's it's really different for everybody, right? I mean, for some people, it's this gives me the ability to finally work remote, and it could be something <laughs> really basic like that. And every one of these relationships has to be pretty concierge to do that. Some people are going to value stock options, and that's what they care the most about. Other people, it's going to be cash comp. Other people, it's going to be title. Other people, you know, everybody has a has a different outlook on on that. But I think it's about creating an experience whereby in their head, if this thing doesn't work out, it's still going to be the best experience I could have possibly had because things aren't going to go well 50% of the time and things up and down every every year, every quarter. And so to not feel like, well, if the company is not going well, this is not going to be able to retain people. And, and so I think developing those levers for each person and checking in with them a lot, right? They change all the time. People get married. People have different sort of situations in their life evolving. And if the bet is only on this is a good job, if this company is is really, really successful, um, and oftentimes, as you guys know, successful to a to a pretty high degree, I think it becomes eventually problematic over a 10-year period, right? Over the long haul. Well, I agree. I totally agree, Luke. I mean, obviously, you want as a founder, not only to recruit the best people, but people that are going to be with you through the ups and downs, because there inevitably are going to be for founders. It just, yeah. it just, it's just part of the game. Um, and one thing I would add is when you're hiring people, especially senior people, you have to hire people because of the people that they bring. If you're hiring a CMO, for example, you need to look at that as 50% hiring a CMO and 50% of the people that that CMO can bring aboard with them. And um, they're going to they're gonna have a network, hopefully. And if they don't, I think it's problematic where they don't have five or six go-to people that, that they can count on. And maybe that's to work at the company. Maybe that's for mentorship. Maybe that's for you know, any, any level of contribution. But the reality is nobody is a solo contributor, especially in a people market like this. So when you're thinking about bringing people aboard, it, you know, they're also people collectors. So who, who do they have they, they can help us collect? A mentor, Luke, or, or an organization that you saw uh, do this really, really well that you took a lot from? You know, where I learned a lot about that was, you know, and now I think there's an accelerator under, under every seat cushion. But in the year that I spent uh, as a managing director at Techstars, that whole operation is based on that premise alone, right? It is a network and it's a network of people with a lot of people committing time and energy at different levels at different times. And, and that, that whole uh, ecosystem of Techstars operates on everybody's ability to bring in the people that they think can help other people. And that's a, an answer that I would give locally, but I would give that answer broadly as well. Uh, and I think my experience there taught me that, right? That it's 
that if you're, you know, and I think we can kind of overemphasize somebody who's a great networker or, or something like that. And I don't really, uh, I don't mean that, but that understand that there is somebody out there who, or there's an operation out there that can help you curate people and find the best people and know the people who know the people. Um, it's just like a big game of, you know, super premium telephone. So I think they, they, they do a good job of that. And Brad and David Cohen and those guys have really sort of surfaced that, at least for me. I like, I like that, Luke, uh, super pre- game of super premium telephone. I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> Use that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- hey, thanks so much. This was a great lesson. It's certainly one that that I think, you know, we try to instill in our portfolio companies and every founder, you know, learns uh, along the way. So it's, it's, a, it's a great one, Luke. Where can our listeners follow along with what you're up to these days at TCG? You know, it's tcg.co is where you can sort of see the, our portfolio of companies that we've invested in. I think that's probably the best place to get any information uh, on the churning group. I'm on Twitter, but not not necessarily that work related. You know, one of the portfolio companies in Colorado that we're invested in is the Pros Closet, which is a marketplace for cycling gear and bikes in particular. Um, so that's kind of a local example of what we're up to. But you know, I think most people probably interact with two or three at least of our consumer brands. So I'd say go to tcg.co to, to get a look at that. Luke, thanks again for joining us and thanks for being such a great uh, contributor to the ecosystem here. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Great job. You guys are are going places. (laughs) Thanks, Luke. Take care.